man, you know, I, again, it's so different. It's, it's a unique experience, and I am, I'm trying to make the most of it here. I miss you guys, and I wish you were here. And as I studied this week, we're still in those passages about the disciples and what happened to them surrounding all of the events with Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection and everything that happened for them. We're still there. And uh, as I studied this week, I, I came upon a passage. You know, occasionally there's a passage of Scripture that's, that's kind of like a treasure chest. It's, it's a... Uh, there's just so much information that it contains, so many things that you can break it up into, into lots of different sermons, and you don't know where to start, and you don't know where to end, and this morning is such a passage. I think this idea, though, of information overload is kind of fitting. It works in the context of this passage, and I, I believe it's, it's that way for a reason. It's this, this period following the resurrection. I, I can only imagine what the disciples must have been feeling in that time. I can only imagine what it was that was really just moving in their hearts and in their minds. It had to have been an exciting time. They knew something was going on. It had to have been confusing to them. You know, they, they weren't sure where to turn. They weren't sure what to do. How I feel like the disciples thought their heads were going to explode because all the things that, that Jesus had said to them, all the things that he had done, they had all come to pass, and they were trying now to fit this together in a puzzle. They were trying to get this to be where they needed it to be so that they could understand. And so I'm not surprised that the 20th chapter of John uh, would have so much information in it. And that's what we're going to be today. We're going to be there starting right in the middle of the 20th chapter of John and for the remainder of the chapter. And so we're going to go to this morning to John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. And it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, but the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you again. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, as, as I read that passage, I can't help but think of all the things that were going on in the minds of the disciples. 
Jesus had just risen. You know, this was, you know, it literally says starting that night. You know, that's, you know, on the evening of that first day of the week. That's how the passage began. Peter and John and Mary had just seen the empty tomb. They've just seen what has happened. And, and John walked away believing. Peter walks away dumbfounded. And Mary has an encounter just before this where Jesus appears to her. And so there are so many things going on. And then you cut to that night and it's the disciples meeting together in a room with locked doors for fear of the Jews. You know, I, I came up here into this Sunday school room today because they always met in the upper room. And here I am in this upper Sunday school room with the doors closed, this confined space. This was kind of how the disciples were on that on that evening of the first day of the week. They were there. They didn't know what was going on. They had locked their doors for fear of the Jews because the Jews had put Jesus to death just three days before. So, so what was going to happen to them? They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how to feel. So they knew something had happened and they had locked the doors. They were there in this room together. How many of them were there? At least the 11 were there. Plus we know that Mary was there and probably his mother, probably a few of the women, all crowded into this large room up in the upper room of the house. And I can just imagine the discussion that day. Peter, Peter's just kind of going, something happened. The tomb was empty. The clothes were there. Maybe it was the Romans. Maybe it was the leaders. I, I don't know what happened. Something happened. But John's kind of going, don't you remember what he said? Remember what he said? He said, in three days, I will rebuild. That's what's going on. That's what's happened. That's what's going on right here. And so and then Mary, of course, Mary's going, no, would you listen to me? I saw him. You know, Mary is the one who came running to him from the tomb saying, he, it, it's gone. It's gone. His body's gone. She was one of them who went the first time. She was one of them who went. So she had to come tell him. And they didn't believe the women at first. And Mary's probably sitting there going, listen to me. I saw him. He's not, he's not still dead. He's alive. I promise. John's right. What he said, that's what's happening. You know, he's, he's, she's going on here. But suddenly it says he was there. The King James Version says he was in their midst. He was in the midst of them. That's a popular phrase in the Bible. In Exodus, it says that the Lord was in the midst of the land. In Deuteronomy, it says that the Lord walked in the midst of the camp. In the fiery furnace, it says he walked in the midst of the furnace with the three boys. Um, when two or more are gathered, we're told in the Gospels, uh, you know, that He's in the midst. On the cross, he was in the midst of sinners. He was in the midst of thieves. In Revelation, he's in the midst of the thrones. He walks in the midst of the seven churches. And now we find him on this first day of the week, on this day of his resurrection, in the midst of the disciples. Now, why is that important? Why is that phrase, in the midst, so important to what goes on with, with what Jesus is saying? Well, I think it's important because it's the key to the Christian life. It is literally the key to everything we believe and do. Because every time that God is in the midst of his people, great things happen. And it's no different today. Anytime God is in the midst of his people, great things begin to happen. Apart from God, no great thing happens. But when God is in the midst, great things explode. He is there in a locked room. They're in a locked room. They're upstairs on the second floor in a locked room. And it says, and suddenly he was in the midst of them. It doesn't say he opened the door and walked in. He doesn't say he knocked on the window. Suddenly he was in the middle of the room. Suddenly he came in in a place where he could not have been. Suddenly that's where Jesus was. But what we find from this text, 
We find lots of things about who Jesus is, and we find out about what happens when Jesus is in the midst of his people. And the first thing we find there is that when Jesus is in our midst, we have peace. He says to them not once, but twice, peace be with you. He says it, he said among them, and he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his sides and his hand. And then the disciples were overjoyed. Again, he says, peace be with you. You know, it's funny because the first thing that happens is there is peace. You notice they didn't panic. Can you imagine? Jesus, they had watched die. Jesus, they had known was buried. Jesus, whose body was missing all of a sudden when the doors were locked, the windows were locked, they were on the second floor. All of a sudden, Jesus was standing there in the midst and he just appeared out of nowhere. But they didn't panic. When Jesus is with his people, we have peace. Imagine the change that came over that room. Imagine what happened in that moment when Jesus appeared in the midst. Chaos suddenly settled into silence. Confusion and sorrow quickly became joy. Jesus offers a peace that we sometimes cannot understand. Now, a few years ago, I took a discipleship um, training type course for pastors at Wise County in the Decatur Association. And I was driving six hours once a, once a month to go and take part in this. It was a, a group of pastors that came together to do this. Um, and we had a we started off with a a retreat weekend, and so I've been gone all weekend long. Well, suddenly, I'm on my way home. I'm 40 minutes from the house, and I get a text from from a lady in the church that simply says, "Because Shiloh is, you know, we don't have Maki yet, so Shiloh is less than two at this point." We get a, I get a text saying, um, "Shiloh is at the hospital. We're here with him. Um, you know, I just wanted to let you know." What? What do you mean the shallows of the hospital? You know, I've been gone for two days. It was the first time I'd ever been away from, from shallow for any length of period. Any time I've been away from Carrie for any length of period of time. You know, in, in our marriage, Carrie and I can probably count the times we've been away from each other longer than 24 hours on one hand because we're always together. And so in this moment, I wanted to panic. In this moment, I wanted to, to just hit the gas, drive 120 miles an hour and get home. But in that moment, I looked up to God and I said, God, I don't know what to do here. And suddenly the peace of God came over me. Suddenly I felt, okay, Troy, you can't do anything by speeding home. You'll be there in 40 minutes and things will be okay. You know, in our lives, when Jesus is in our midst, we can't help but have peace. He brings it. You know, with Jesus in our midst, no matter what our life looks like, we can have peace. It doesn't matter if the ends aren't coming together. It doesn't matter if things seem to be falling apart. When we have Jesus, we can have peace. Chaos will become silent and confusion will become joy. Trials become a way in which we draw closer to God rather than a way for God to push us away, we feel. We've seen the bumper stickers, right? It says, no Jesus, N-O, no peace, N-O. Or no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, K-N-O-W, peace. We've seen the bumper stickers, but they're true. If you do not have peace, it may be because you don't have Jesus in the midst of your life. If you are a believer and you're walking through this world and you're saying to yourself, why are things so horrible? Why are things so bad? It may just be that you need to stop and say, okay, God, I need to put you back in the central place. I need you in the midst of my life, in the middle of my life. Too often we relegate Jesus to the side. 
Too often we say, Jesus, I love you and I want you to do stuff for me, but you're in my way. So I'm going to put you over here. And when I get ready to call on you, I'm going to call on you. But what we have to learn to do is keep Jesus in the midst, keep Jesus in the middle. Because when we have Jesus in the middle, all of a sudden we find that peace. And so if you don't have peace right now, check to see where Jesus is. Check to see where you have put him. Have you put him up on the shelf and decided to take him down later? Or is he living in the midst? Maybe you're holding him at arm's length. Maybe he can have Sunday and maybe Wednesday, but every day, uh, I, and he sure isn't the Lord of Mondays, because you know how Mondays are, right? Maybe that's how you've been acting with Jesus. If you want peace, no matter your circumstance, let Jesus be in the midst of your life. Let him be in the middle. Let him be right there. So when we have Jesus in the midst, we have peace. But the second thing we find here is that when we have Jesus in the midst, we have a mission. What does he say to the disciples here? He says, again, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It wasn't time for the disciples to stand around. Remember, the story prior to this, Jesus said to Mary when she tried to hold on to him, Don't hold on to me. I've got to ascend to the Father. I've got things to do. Well, this wasn't a time for the disciples to stand around. The disciples could have said, well, Jesus, you got resurrected. Work's over. We're good. We're done. But that's not what happened. Jesus said, okay, peace be with you. But now I've got a job for you to do. I've got work for you to do. It was not time to celebrate. He gave them a purpose. He says, I want you to go as I went. I want you to go as I've been going. I want you to do the things that I've been doing. I want you to take a message of salvation to the lost. When Jesus is in our midst, we cannot help but reach out to those who do not know him. When Jesus is in our midst, we cannot help but talk about Jesus and talk about what's going on. Have you ever had um, house guests for too long? Or have you ever had someone who was always with you and always doing things and always around? Have you ever had that? Because we have that a lot. There are people you know, in our lives who we love them and we love them dearly. But you know, there's a good rule that, that people, that, that the etiquette people put out there. Three days is the longest you need to have somebody as a house guest. Why? Because after three days, all of a sudden, things begin to feel like they're encroaching. You know, we have to find ourselves. And that's sometimes what we look at with Jesus. We say, oh, Jesus, our life has to change. That's the point. Our life does have to change. You know, and during this pandemic, we're finding out that when everybody's always at home, life has to change. Things have to be different. And so when Jesus is always in the midst of our life, things have to be different. You know, we don't want house guests longer than three days. Why? Because it means we have to change things when we do that. But the truth is, the real truth is that when we're always home, things change anyway. And when Jesus is always there, things are going to change. Things are going to be different. If Jesus is truly in our midst, we cannot, we cannot be more concerned with those inside the church than we are with those outside the church. If we go like he went, we also have to remember what he said. He came for the sick or the sinner because the well don't need a doctor. We have to do the things that Jesus told us to do. That's our mission. As much as we are to build each other up, as much as we are to be a church of, of people who come together, our mission is to those who don't know him. Our mission is to go out and share that. Usually our first excuse is, well, I don't know how, but Jesus takes care of that. He doesn't leave us unarmed. And why do I know that? Because the third thing we find here is that with Jesus in our midst, we have power. The very next thing he does, what does he say? 
I'm sending you as the Father sent me. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said some crazy stuff. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. What? Well, first he breathes on them. What's the image there? Think about it. In Genesis, what's it say? And God made Adam out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his life, into his nostrils. He breathed in the breath of life and he became a living soul. Well, the Holy Spirit, the word spirit is ruach. It's ruach in Hebrew. It's pneuma or nephma in Greek. It literally is the same word for wind. What do we have when we have air tools? They're pneumatic tools. And so he breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus equipped them for the mission he gave them. When Jesus is in our midst, we have power. And not just any power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He, you know, he was giving them the power to forgive and to be forgiven. He was giving them the power to be his hands and feet in this world. He was giving them a power they had never before truly had. He had sent them once before and told them to go and to wipe the dust off and everything else. He gave them that once before, but now he was giving it to them in a new way, in a different way, and he was empowering them to be the people that he had called them to be. The power we have when Jesus is in our midst is the very power of God. Just like Jesus, whenever someone came to faith, the disciples could forgive their sins. And if they rejected him, they retained their sins. So what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a high and mighty, you know, bishop? No. What that means is when they come to you for the gospel message, they'll either accept it or they'll reject it. And if they reject it, they've rejected Jesus and their sins aren't forgiven. But if they accept it, you get, the joyous, you get the joyous opportunity to tell them your sins are forgiven. You are a new person. Isn't that amazing? It's not that, oh, I get to forgive people's sins because God's given me some great power. It's that I get to proclaim to them the truth of the gospel. So whenever someone comes to the faith, we could say, yes, your sins are forgiven. That's amazing. Or they walk away and we know that their sins aren't forgiven. If you forgive their sins, not, not that their, sins are, their forgiveness is dependent upon my sins. Their forgiveness is dependent upon Jesus Christ. I'm just the tool by which I get to share with them their forgiveness. It's similar to the way our legal system is supposed to work. The judge or jury doesn't grant innocence, does it? The law does. The judge or jury are simply the conduit to wield the law's power. They're simply the ones who get to say, yes, this is against the law, or no, it's not against the law. Again, whenever someone comes to faith, the disciples could forgive their sins. If they rejected him, they retained their sins. It's not a special thing used for punishment. This is just as Jesus did countless times in the Gospels. He would come to someone's aid. He would heal them. He would stand up for them. And then he would say what? Go and sin no more. It's not that he was, you know, all of a sudden their sins were, weren't forgiven. It was that go and lead a different life. Be be, be different. But the story doesn't end there. That's the crazy thing. That's why I didn't know what to do with this sermon at first. Because there was somebody who wasn't there. Thomas didn't see this. <laughs> and he was caught in a trap. He's caught in a bad rap alert for years, right? For years we have said to him, he's doubting Thomas. He's the one who couldn't believe. You know, I think that name's a little unfair. There's two reasons why. Uh, notice the other disciples didn't rejoice until they showed him the wounds, right? It says... He said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were overjoyed. Thomas just wanted the same experience that other disciples had. 
Thomas just wanted to know what they had known. That's, that's the first reason. Mary had been saying for days that she had seen Jesus or for hours. I've seen Jesus. But that wasn't enough for them to be joyous and unafraid. They had to see for themselves to be released into that. Thomas just wants the same thing. When Thomas says to them, you know what, hey, I just want to see the same thing. Why do we label him a doubter? But the second thing is, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came the first time. That strikes me as strange. Everyone else was in a locked room afraid of the Jews. Everyone else was staying in this place together frightened because they were scared for their life. But Thomas was out and about. He doesn't seem to have the level of fear that everyone else did. And remember, if you look at the Lazarus story, Thomas was the one, whenever it was time to go, they were all saying, Jesus, we're going to die if we go there because they're out to get you. And Thomas said, hey, let's go so that we can die with him. Thomas was always the one who stood up that way. So his doubt was no worse than the others. His doubt wasn't any, any different. In fact, I believe this story was written this way for a reason. They all doubted until they saw. They all doubted until they, they had this proof to believe. But there would be those who would have to believe without seeing. And so it says here, all of these were written. Because it says, he did many more things, right? He did many more things. Other miraculous signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written so we can, and this is what the, the Greek says, keep on believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you can have life in his name. That you can keep on believing. You know, I think this story was written this way for a reason. Because there are going to be those of, those of us who have to believe in Jesus without ever seeing him. And it was written so that we could know something. Doubt sometimes is a part of the walk of faith. That's not popular for a pastor to say, but it's the truth. Sometimes we'll find ourselves in a place of doubt. But these things are written so that you can keep on believing. Jesus, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we would doubt. And he gave us these stories, these records, so those of us who can't see can believe and know that Jesus is the Messiah. The last thing that we need to know about Jesus in our midst is that when Jesus is in our midst, our world changes. It changes completely. It goes from black and white to technicolor. It goes from mono to stereo, from AM to FM. Things change. When Jesus is in our midst, our world is completely and utterly different. That's just the truth. It's amazing that Jesus does this to our lives. It's amazing that Jesus changes who we are. We are completely new creations. And that is the most amazing promise we could ever have. Because our world will change. And what does that mean? It means that sometimes we're going to have a walk of faith that's just like this. And sometimes the bottom's going to fall out. But if we're trusting God and we have Jesus in the midst, when the bottom falls out, we stay here. We're not doing this. It means that if we keep Jesus in the midst, our, our life is full of the peace of God. Our life is full of, the, of, the, of the, the work of God. And our life is full of the power of God. 
And if you have those things, those three things together, our world has to change. We can no longer be the person that we used to be. We can no longer sit on the sidelines and let other people do the work. We have to do the work that God has called us to. That is who we are supposed to be. Jesus in our life changes our life. It changes our world. And that's just the truth. You know, today, I don't know where you are. Maybe you feel far away from Jesus. Maybe maybe because of this pandemic, we're all feeling lonely. I feel lonely. I hate this. I hate being away. But maybe God is moving in your life in such a way today that, that you can feel him again. Maybe you felt so lonely and that loneliness has included Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, bring me back. Put me in center. Maybe you've, you've been walking with Jesus. And maybe today is just a day to remember that you are lucky because you have kept Jesus in the midst. Praise God. I am glad that you were there. Maybe today you have never had Jesus in your midst. Maybe you are one of those people who's never known Jesus as your Savior. It's not hard. I want you to know him. I want you to understand him. And I want you to be your Savior. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray after me. And if you know, if you make a decision, let me know, okay? So let's pray. Let's thank God for who he is. And let's dismiss our service today. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would come, Father, and make every need known. Father, whether whether we've known you forever or whether we've never known you, Father, bless us right now and bring us to your throne of grace. Father, for anyone who doesn't know you, I pray that they would just they would repeat after me right now in this prayer. Father, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm in need of a Savior. Father, I pray that you would come into my life, that you would make me whole, Father. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life, Father, and allow me to enter into your kingdom when it's my time. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Well, guys, I love you. I pray that, that God is blessing you in this time, that you are being used in a mighty way, and that you are finding new ways and new experiences to live out your Christian life. Guys, I can't wait till we get back together. I pray that God blesses you this week. Until next time, love each other deeply from the heart. Be blessed this week.